Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 422, Golden Geek Nominations. We like to thank all our Patreon backers, but especially Tudor, our new Patreon producer. Thanks so much. You rock. Hello, friends. We are back and we are talking about the Golden Geek Nominations for 2023. The hottest things that are happening out there, the best games, podcasts, a lot of great stuff out there. So that, Anthony, is going to be our feature review, but unfortunately, we can't feature our Death Laser this year. Yeah, guys, come on. We wanted a Death Laser. We were this close. Should be positive. Thank you to everybody who did nominate us. I know several people wrote in and said they did. We appreciate it. Um, We'll just have to start the Death Laser campaign a little earlier next year, be a little more proactive, some more threats possibly um of, maybe that's the problem we say we're gonna get a death laser and people are like well we don't want you to have a death laser so maybe okay maybe we already have it and you vote for us nominate us so we don't use it hey world domination was in our hands everyone's gonna be able to have board games but we'll have to wait until that paradise happens next year so we 
Thank you again, as Anthony said, for supporting us. It means a lot to us. There are a lot of great podcasts out there. We'll talk about them at the feature review. So whomever is your favorite content producers, it does take a lot of work, does take a lot of challenge, and we're so appreciative for your support. And please support all those great creators out there wherever they happen to be. So Anthony, we'll be talking about that a little bit later for the Golden Geek nominations. But we have a lot of stuff that's happening with us on BGA. So... For all of our Patreon backers, I brought back Kicking the Habit, so I will be doing another Kicking the Habit today because by the time you hear this, it's Tuesday, and Tuesday, as we all know, is Kickstarter Day, I guess Game Found Day. It doesn't really roll off the tongue necessarily, but we'll work on that, and I'll be talking about all the new Kickstarters, and you will get to hear by that end of the episode if I have convinced myself to buy yet another Kickstarter game at an extraordinary price. Yeah, that's fun. I have fun with that. It's good. Well, it's fun for you. It's not fun yeah. for me. And I end up backing things. I shouldn't look at these things too closely. It's like Indiana <laughs> Jones. Yeah. I, I had a good week last week. I held off on two things that I really wanted. I was very proud of myself. This week, I have two more that I have to hold off on. But What what didn't you back? We usually talk about what did you back, what did you get, and, and geek stuff. What did you not back? Let's let's go the other way. All right. All right. So Zombicide almost got me. Oh, that's of- right. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pack that they did. <laughs> um, but then I realized the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pack was not Kickstarter exclusive. Some Ooh. Kickstarter exclusive stuff in it. I'm like, well, maybe I'll just get it later. Only just that. Because I don't want anything else in this Kickstarter. Yeah. I just really wanted the two Kickstarter exclusive pieces that came with it. Sure. And I'm like, I would be paying $165 for those two pieces effectively. Like, no, that's dumb. And then the other one I didn't back was the Santorini Deluxe, which I do actually still want. but. I don't really care that much about the deluxe stuff. I just want the campaign. And again, I'll wait until that's in retail and it's less expensive and I can buy it responsibly. And I was very proud of myself. Uh, I have two more this week I have to hold on to because Teotihuacan is still running. And uh, my acquisition disorder today that we're going to talk about is another one that I'm on the fence on. But I've saved some money. I'm doing good. All right, so we'll talk about mine on that Patreon episode. Again, thanks all for listening. And if you do have games as far as Kickstarter, GameFound, or games that are coming out, and you'd like us to cover on the Kickstarter Patreon podcast, or if you'd like us to cover it as one of our acquisition disorders and you'd like to tempt Anthony yet again to purchase something extraordinarily high and expensive and that he probably might possibly want, then hit us up because... Why should we be the only ones who suffer through this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all suffer together. That's like, right. Here's the thing, though. I have no room left in my house. So if I buy something, I have to get rid of something. And that's actually made this a little bit easier because I've been looking at my shelves. I'm like, is there any game here I want less than this other thing that I'd have to buy? Ooh, like, we're at that point. So. Huh? We are at that point. Yeah, I have boxes in the other half of the basement full of games that I need to get rid of because there's no room oh, no. for them. Um, I've been getting rid of them slowly but surely. But I, I'm like, I don't want to buy more stuff because then I have to get rid of more stuff. And I hate getting rid of games. It's just exhausting. So. It is. So please send Anthony more possible acquisitions. No, stop it. <laughs> send him many, many one. Because <laughs> if he buys them, I get to play them. So that's yeah. also a secondary good for me. And then he talks about them on the podcast. So that's yep. good for you. Yeah. So True. let's yeah. try to start a gigantic Get Anthony to Back campaign on BGA whether it's on all of our social medias, email Anthony at anthony at boardgamersanonymous.com. 
and just let him know what he should be playing and buying. You know, he's got kids and family members that probably could get apartments somewhere else. You know, he could, he could make room <laughs> available. You know, yeah. I again, I had a storage unit. It was full of games, but I emptied it, and I'm getting rid of those games. I'm have I've had a healthy couple of months here. I'm doing good. Oh, we don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear yeah. that at all. No. I, no. Well, sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast has done unhealthy acquisitions and obsessions about board games and cardboard. It's always been that way. And it'll always be that way. I don't know. I but guess. I, once, I, I guess. We're, good. Once you reach the point of paying like two hundred dollars a month for a storage unit, that's unhealthy, and it's it's beyond unhealthy. It's just like I can't do it. Not doing it. Got, I mean, got there it. was. There was a guy we used to know who had like 2,000 board games in a storage unit, Anthony, if you remember way back when. I know. He, I feel like he had a better excuse than us, though, because he got paid to write about them. <laughs> so. All right. So, again, thank you so much, Anthony. But that's not all that's going on with us and our friends out there. What's our question of the week? All right. Question of the week this week. We have, what is your number one deal breaker when it comes to games? A mechanic, theme, art style, player count, or something else entirely that turns you off from a game before you even sit down. So that one thing where you're like, nah, I don't want to play this. Don't care. <laughs> don't care how good it is. Not doing it. Um, all right. So we got a lot of good answers here. Uh, we'll start over on the Patreon as we often do. Uh, again, if, if you are a backer at any level, you can answer these questions on Patreon. You get an email every Tuesday. You can also answer them in the discord and you are entered into a contest every couple weeks uh, to win one of our, wonderful prizes from one of our partners or from one of the, the games that we have sitting around sealed um, ready to give away. So Tim says, generally player to player trading and negotiation is a turnoff. It often takes a long time to hear everyone's offers and counter offers, lots of downtime if you're not participating in this process. Um, also mentions in my game group and in my family gaming, no one is willing to make a trade unless it obviously benefits them more than whoever they are trading with. Declined offers or obviously unfair deals just lead to hard feelings around the table. Yep. Totally agree on this. I It's not a deal killer for me, but it's really group dependent. There are people I will not play negotiation games with because they'll take it personally and then they'll poke at you the whole game. and It's not fun. Uh, Robert says, we generally steer away from games where other players can ruin your engine building. We just never find it satisfying to mess up others and really hate watching our Tableau engine, etc. become useless. Guess we dress builders and not destroyers. LOL. <laughs> uh, Drew says calamitous backstabbing games such as Game of Thrones or Diplomacy. We intend to maintain our relationships in gaming. Uh, Ryan says I generally won't play a game where the bulk of the game involves lying or deception. I'm a horrible liar and can't keep a straight face, so I have no chance. Ha. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and then over on the Discord, Mini Mega Moose says, a lack of meaningful agency kills games for me. It's often sure. arbitrariness of turn order or a card effect or something, so usually I don't realize it until mid-game. And then I realize, then I resolve to never touch that game again. Uh, my favorite memory, though, a solo game of Healthy Heart Hospital that I lost during setup. Like, literally, the setup cube draw <laughs> killed so many patients, it triggered the loss condition. Um that's amazing. That's, I mean, Pandemic can do that, not on the setup, like turn one, turn two. Um, and you just reset and start over. But I like, I get that a lot playing solo games sometimes. Where you set them up, you run through a couple times, you're like, and I lost. Now let's start <laughs> over. <laughs> um, and then it makes you wonder, like, does this game work? Is this actually fun? I don't think this is fun. <laughs> uh, my deal breaker, I don't have a ton. Like, there's certain things I don't love. 
Like, I don't love Cthulhu, but there are Cthulhu games I have played and would play. I don't love negotiation, but there are some negotiation games that I really do enjoy. Um, but my deal breaker is, and remains, uh, trick-taking games where there's no alternative actions, right? So, like, if you if if the goal of the game is to win a trick and it's completely dependent on what's in your hand, I don't really enjoy that because you can have entire turns or rounds where you just don't get anything to do. You're like, all right, I'm going to lose every hand and there's no bidding and there's no betting. So I'm just losing. So that's not fun. So there needs to be some secondary mechanic, you know, a betting mechanic, a bidding mechanic, um, a reward for winning certain types of tricks or losing certain types of something to offset that. Uh, because if all you're going to do is lose and you know that from the first draw, then what? why am I playing the game? This is not fun. <laughs> so... Uh, secondarily, like I do, I don't completely avoid them, but I really don't enjoy area control games where people can wipe out turns worth of actions. Um, there are exceptions to this if it's balanced well and, and it, and there's a lot of interesting decisions to be made and it's really thematic, but there are certain area control games I've played where I'm like, okay, cool. I set up this and I do this and I combo this and I do this. And someone's like, plays a card and they're like, I drop a meteor and kill everything you just did. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> that was a waste of a half an hour. <laughs> I had fun. Um, those are mine. Yeah, I have. Ironically, like I have a lot, but the funny thing is, historically, the things that have been deal breakers for me, I guess partly because I'm generally, even though things are deal breaker, maybe because of the podcast, but also because I'm generally willing to give something a try, even if it seems like the most obstinate thing that I could ever possibly think of. And then I find, oh, okay, so, like, <clears throat> I don't like uh, the pandemic. I don't like pandemic. But yet, Defenders of the Realm uses the pandemic engine, and it's one of my favorite games of all time. I don't like, you know, the Polyamino, but I I love Patchwork and, and one or two other games. And I, like, I, I don't love Rolling Right, but then, you know, you, you find one or two some kind of things like that. So... Mechanic wise, I think that's always one of those situations where it's like probably not, but every once in a while there's something that kind of just uh, is amazing. I mean, I think the 18 double X one has been a deal breaker I, on, on many levels, right? It hits a lot of deal breakers for me, it hits a lot of those circuit breakers. So it's like the artwork, ah, the, the amount of time that you would have to put into play, ah, the economic, you know, arithmetic that you have to do every round. No, <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's just so, and then there's the generic theme to it, which is like, ah, so you, you don't want to play a long, ugly numbers game. No, <laughs> I, don't I don't understand. <laughs> you know me so well, my friend, you know me so well. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I don't No, No, <laughs> I never, <laughs> I never verbalized it before now, but yes, that's, that's exactly what I don't want to do. That's, that's like innately. Yeah. No, that's not even close to a thing. So yeah, I think, I think it's the combination of things that really shuts things down. I will say that there is one probably might be a little bit higher than that. And it's one of those things where it is a deal breaker, but it's a purposeful deal breaker because I cannot allow myself to get involved in it. And it has to be a deal breaker, which is any type of CCG because mm. yeah. I know these are good games, and but I know they're incredibly dangerous. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's one of those things where, like, you know, like drinking and smoking and several other kind of illicit habits, you have to be like 21 or, you know, 18 or up or something like that. It feels like when it comes to CCGs, like, 
the age should be the opposite, where you should only be allowed to play it if you're like, I don't know, under 10 years old. Because once you get above that age, like, you have disposable income, and it becomes bad. And then there's a secondary market, it becomes bad. If you're under 10, then your income more or less is kind of contained and held, and it doesn't become a muck, not to mention the players you're playing with, who you know, drop $1,000 on a game and, like, I don't know. They show you the game, and before they're done showing it, you've already lost the game because of the first turn. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the CCJs is a hard, hard uh, deal breaker. Yeah, I'm. I still occasionally buy CCG stuff because I, I've always enjoyed opening them, but I'm always very yeah. deliberate about it. Where I'm like, I'm gonna buy three packs of this new magic. There was a magic set that came out last year that was like cyberpunk, mm. Neo Tokyo style, sure. right? And I was like, that's really cool. Like it was like gave me an Akira vibe. I'm like, I'm gonna buy some of these because I want to look at the cards. <laughs> yeah, but I don't play the game, and I certainly wasn't looking for mythics. I was just like, nope, I'm done. That's cool. These are pretty, and moving on. Um. The couple of times I've gone down the rabbit hole, like Keyforge, for example, I own like 100 decks of that stupid game. Why? Why do I do that? <laughs> because it's addictive and you keep buying them because you're hoping to get that nice big deck. So I, I, I try to be careful, too. Yeah, they have that Lord of the Rings magic sets that are coming out that are like, I don't know, hundreds or hundreds of my dollars for the special set where you could maybe get the ring. The one ring. Yeah, and... the one in three million chance because they printed three million cups packs of those cards i'm like yeah that's i almost bought one of those boxes because i'm like oh that'd be kind of cool and then i was like i should look up the odds and i'm like oh they're overprinting the snot out of this no oh, come on, Anthony. <laughs> not never doing tell this. me never tell me the odds what, what why why are you doing that okay well the odds saved me money so <laughs> <laughs> all right well anthony do we have a winner we do have a winner, uh, Mini Mega Moose over on the Discord. Uh, thank you so much. I, we love your answer about Healthy Heart Hospital losing during setup. Um, yeah. I feel that pain. As a solo <laughs> gamer, I feel that pain. <laughs> I would not play that game again either. So congrats. We will get a game package out to you in the mail here this week. Um, look for our email. Yeah, and again, if you'd like to join in all the fun on Patreon, patreon.com, BGA. <clears throat> All right, everyone, so let's get on to the games that we want to hit the table, and let's see if we can convince Anthony in purchasing some new games. Nah, I'm not doing it. Actually, I might Do actually it. buy this one, but it's not that expensive. So <laughs> That's um, how it begins. Yeah, I know. So this is Paperback uh, 10th Anniversary, which is on Kickstarter right now for like two more days. So mm-hmm. if it, unless you're listening to this on day one or two, then it's probably already done, and then... You don't have to be tempted because you didn't find it first. Um, But it is a 10th anniversary edition of Paperback, which is like an all-time favorite game of mine. Um, I don't actually own a copy of Paperback at the moment because I had hardback and I was playing that more. But I've actually gone back to Paperback more digitally. And so I've actually thought recently before they put this up, I'm like, I should get that again because I think I like it more. So and then the universe heard me and put this up. so the game's been out for 10 years, which is amazing. Uh, and they've done a good job of keeping it in print. So it's been relatively easy to find, more or less. And it's pretty inexpensive. It comes in a small box. So it's like 30 bucks. This 10th anniversary edition adds a few things. Um, got an updated solo mode. We have more unlockable cards. They updated the artwork. Um, they, they've done a few other like small things, integrating like the expansion and stuff. 
There's also now a deluxe edition of it, which comes with dual layer genre tiles. It comes with stitched play mats, foil fame cards, card sleeves, custom metal tokens, like stuff you don't need, but it's cool. It's pretty. Um, so if you really want a fancy copy of paperback, you can do that. And then they have a new game that they've put in with this Kickstarter called Typewriter, which uses similar rules to paperback, but now it's like these little acrylic tiles that you will pull out of a bag and use to form different words. So instead of having a deck builder, you now have these uh, tiles that'll be kind of drafted off the table. Um, So it's simplifying it and streamlining it a little bit. Whereas paperback can, it's not a long game, but sometimes it can go a little long. Uh, Typewriter seems to be like a 20 to 40 minutes, you know, I'm not going to say bananagrams, but it's tiles on the table. So sure, bananagram style (laughs) word game. Um, the other cool thing that they've done is they've brought in other artists. So the classic version of this, Ryan Goldsberry did amazing art, right? It's like the <laughs> classical, like, uh, golden age style covers for books from like the forties and fifties, which I love. I actually have like two or three of them framed downstairs on the wall. Cause I just, I think some of those covers that he's done are amazing. Um, but they went out and got some other very well-known board game artists to make covers of their own. So we got Vincent Dutrat, we got Quan Chai Moria, Eric Hibbler, Damon Hampton, um, Jeff Harvey, Ryan Lockett did one, uh, Kyle Farron from Root Fame, um, a bunch of different stuff. And they're revealing two more tomorrow when you're listening to this. So that's cool. I would just pay for that promo pack, honestly. If they were just selling that independently, I would buy that. Um, and so it, it's got me on the fence, right? Because you can get the 10th anniversary edition. It's only $32. Um, you could get both of these together for $57. If you want the deluxe, it's $68 and $92 <coughs> deluxe on both. I like that there's options. I like that you're not stuck getting the deluxe edition. I like that the deluxe edition is completely aesthetic. So if you don't get it, you're not missing out on game content because I hate that. Um, and Typewriter seems like a cool quick game so i'm tempted to pick this up uh just because it is one of my favorite word games and i don't currently have a copy um because i thought i would stick with hardback which i haven't so i'm very much on the fence um but it's it's up there now if you want to check it out for a couple more days and if you like word games and you've not played paperback you absolutely should it is the best word game in my opinion out of modern hobby games um it's a you know deck building plus word games is like a marriage made in heaven it's perfect so check that out it's on kickstarter now for like two more days if you miss that though they don't really do kickstarter exclusive stuff so you'll be able to get everything eventually Mm -hmm. off their website yeah the the artwork here is outstanding and i'm really surprised i mean they really went out of their way to create different types of cover art and they're each unique and varied and gorgeous. I mean, honestly, if <laughs> I think like you mentioned, like I'd rather have these just like as big little mini poster kind of things yeah. instead of just cards because they're just they're fantastic, you know. So um, own, I own paperback. I own a hardback too. So I have all this stuff. Uh, so obviously, if someone has not gotten into this kind of universe. I am not, I should have mentioned this earlier too. Uh, one of the kind of hard, you know, sh- shutdowns for me is spelling games and word games like this, just because I don't 
don't really enjoy that. But paperback and hardback have always been like easy entries. Like it's not you don't get crushed because you don't know a seven letter word for something or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not Scrabble penalty kind of thing. You don't need to have like the best vocabulary possible, or otherwise you just embarrassingly get crushed in front of everybody. This is something that everyone can play. Yeah. So yeah, I would definitely be on board if you've never checked this out. You should. And if you own a copy of this, like Anthony was saying, like maybe it's some something you like to upgrade. All right, so let's talk about something that's I don't know. I don't even know what to talk about here because this is one of the weirdest, oddest ideas, I guess, in a way. Call of Duty the board game. That's Ugh. a thing now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I want to know what direction we're going with this. So, yeah, let's do it. So, Call of Duty the board game. It's going to be a competitive and co-op board game. Now, we're talking board game. I know, like, so Call of Duty for anyone who, I don't know, hasn't been around the world or I, I don't know i don't i don't know who doesn't know about call of duty even if you don't play call of duty call of duty is a worldwide famous video game first person shooter tactical military game it's had endless iterations video game wise and now they've decided let's do a board game so since this is a worldwide phenomenon in video gaming you would think they would just produce the game and people would of course buy the game right they're doing a Kickstarter yeah. because of reasons. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. Nope. This is this is the direction I thought we were going. All yeah. right. <laughs> uh, so Call of Duty, the board game, is the name of the board game. And again, this is a first-person shooter, and it's produced by Arcane Wonders, who does a very good job with their games. So the production's great, very great. Foundations of Rome was one of their games. I mean, Furnace was one of their... I mean, they have a lot of good games in their kind of collection so this game is a board game i keep saying that because you would think if you played call of duty this would be a miniatures game now there are miniatures in it but it is not a miniatures game it is a straight board game kind of situation uh so that's obviously the first thing the game itself at least the core set of the game because remember we talked about kickstarter it's going to be a two-player game it's going to be about $50 US, give or take, depending on how you look at it. And then there's going to be additional content packets. So like expansions to the game. So like if you, I guess you buy multiple core sets, you could play up to four players. And then it's going to have competitive and tournament style of play. So they're thinking of this as a long-term project, additional campaigns to go along with this, additional modules to go along with this, a story kind of mode to go into this. Now, this is not the first time they someone's produced an FPS game. I mean, Doom came out, and I don't think anyone really remembers that as a board game so much. But this should be something that really should hit pretty large. Uh, it's going to be Kickstartering sometime soon. It's, it's like, I guess, early fall, and it's going to be available for retail release. I'll be interested to see what actually comes in the Kickstarter versus what's going to actually be out for everyone to purchase in retail because again i don't know why this is kickstarter because i can't imagine that they're going to be things on kickstarter that they're not going to release out to the retail because it's just people just don't know what kickstarter is i mean it's just it's i mean we do but we have problems because of that (laughs) so like the average consumer is not going to know kickstarter nor nor are they going to be willing to give money to a project 
that like why don't I just buy it in the store? It just yeah. I think from it just doesn't make sense. It's not it's not a small company. It's a huge company. It's probably going to be a great game, but it's still a very odd situation. And I'm sure it's going to be one of those things where there's like I don't know collector's edition where you could buy on Kickstarter, which again. I don't know. It's 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 an oddity to say the least. Yeah, there there's a lot of things here. Um, you know, and part of it's like you look at it and you're like, maybe they want to print like a hundred thousand copies or something. Sure. It's arcane wonders, and maybe they don't have the capital to do that. So they're like, we'll do Kickstarter, because that's a way to be able to afford that. Um It's weird the then th- that they went to Arcane Wonders. That's that's what I was saying, right? Like, why is this not going through a company that does these types of games? Simon. Simon would be the obvious choice. Yeah, who would also do Kickstarter and they would ruin it, but... <laughs> or Asmodee, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, Simon has found a way through this, right? Like, they're partnered with Spin Masters on the Marvel United stuff, and they get those things into Walmarts, and it's not a big deal, and they make cheap versions of those games. Um, There are ways to do it that make sense. This doesn't really make sense, because like you said, Call of Duty is the biggest non-sports game in the world right that gets released every year and there's people who only play call of duty they buy an xbox or a playstation and they just play call of duty every year and they don't know anything about any other games and they don't know anything about board games they don't know anything about kickstarter and maybe if they saw this game on the shelf at like a GameStop when they went to get their new call of duty they'd be like oh cool i'll buy that but kickstarter they're not going to see this so i don't know who they think their audience is i don't i would be I would not be surprised at all if this does poorly on Kickstarter. Wow. If it if it barely reaches its goal, you know. And the goal will probably be stupidly high, like 200,000 or something, but I don't expect this to make millions of dollars. I would guess like half a million at best. Um and I, maybe the game's great. Like it's the designer of Mage Wars, which is a great game. And if they're making a two-player tactical type of game, which is what Mage Wars is, this this will also probably very be very good. I just don't think people who like Call of Duty care. <laughs> like, sure. We care, and I don't like Call of Duty, so I'm not going to buy this. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. I'm not I'm not down on it. I want all games to be good, but it just seems like a lot of weird decisions. Yeah, I think the holy grail of all the you know board games, as we've been talking about this for many years now, is can you catch a crossover, right? Like, right. if it's a board game, you're going to get board game people more or less. I don't, I don't, we talked about, you know, deal breakers but more or less if it's a board game and you're a board gamer you're going to come across this in either media or at the table itself if you go to a meetup or something like that like you're going to hear and see and play it or you're going to see it on kickstarter but that amount of money even though it is in case some cases millions of dollars is still a pittance to like you know call of duty which is what it's got i mean that's got to be a billion dollar franchise at this point right yeah easily yeah so the question then is like can they tap into that player base who just might want to own this for the heck of just like I'll just own this and put this on my shelf or maybe I get it to the table or something like that and then you bury it within Kickstarter again yeah. because that's the board that's board gaming so of course you would do it that way but I can't imagine that many players and that many people going to again going to Kickstarter for this in particular where retail is really where it should pop and should pop at the collector's edition level. And uh, I mean, if they, if they, you know, like Wingspan, Wingspan is huge in a lot of, a lot of ways because of people who are bird watchers, not board gamers. Right. But that was a Venn diagram that kind of crossed over with similar type of people. 
video games historically, as board games, have not produced very well. Not that they're not good games, but, you know, Doom and several other games. I mean, I think Slay the Spire, again, small company, small people, understandably, on Kickstarter. But I I think everyone involved must know that this is going to disappoint on some level. It has to, right? I, I feel like it must, yeah. And you know what it is? It's probably them looking at the big Kickstarters for, like, the Resident Evils. Or, like, sure. a, there's been a bunch of Kickstarters. Or like Nemesis. Assassin's Creed, Nemesis. Like, that are video games that turned into board games, but those video games that turned into board games were full of, like, 100-plus miniatures and all these different scenarios. Like, it was like, do you want to play the video game but on a table? You know? And there is more crossover there. I don't know that this has that. And, I again, I hope I'm wrong for people who like both. I just, I don't see it. Like, I try to think of, like, Minecraft is a good example. Not that it has an overlap with Call of Duty in terms of audience, but Minecraft is, like, an uber-successful video game franchise that I wouldn't expect those people to necessarily be innately board gamers. Those games don't go to Kickstarter. They're on target shelves, right? And they probably sell a boatload because they stay on the target shelves, right? The only games that stay on those shelves are the ones that sell a lot. Um, Every time I need to find a new Minecraft game for my kids, because they always want all the Minecraft board games, I have to track it down at Target or Walmart or wherever. Like, you don't even find those online. So, and I'm sure this will end up in the big box stores. I, I don't think that's not going to happen it's just it's weird to start on kickstarter again unless it's like a capital thing They're like we want to print a hundred thousand copies and this is the only way we can afford to do it i think for arcane wonders that's true yeah but probably. again it's just it's all this also goes back to the question can a board game capture what people love about that video game i mean have it has any of them done it i mean i know some people like like people like the dark souls game people like the bloodborne game but i don't think they're considered generally successful yeah. Like people like the Stardew Valley game, but I've played it. It's kind of messy. Like it's really it's trying too hard to replicate. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm sure there's some, but there the only one like, I can the, think of is, and again, mechs, mechs versus minions. Yeah, and yeah, I I played that video game to the ends of the earth, and mechs versus minions is not that game. No, it's the theme. Yeah, it's not. It's not the actual mechanics of the game. No, so um, there would be you know. And again, I love that I love that video game, and I never purchased the game itself because while I did love the production and did love the lore and everything else there, it's not why I was coming to that video game. I wasn't playing League or anything else because of that. So, all right, we'll see. Should be a, a fun. It should be a fun time on Kickstarter when that comes out. Right. All right. So that's everything that's once hit our table in the near future. We'll see. We'll see if it actually does. Anthony, uh, I got to let's get talk about at the table because I got to play two big games. So I'm going to take up the time here because they're big, they're sprawling, and they hit the table hard this week. So right. first up, I want to talk about a game that was on Kickstarter and did back, but I think on some level was a little bit under the radar. This is Distilled, and this is a game about distilling alcohol. So many of your favorite cocktails and drinks. Uh, it's highly thematic game. It's all about crafting these different spirits, and it's you play from I guess as always. It's a one to five player game because sure everyone can play it at that point. And this was on Kickstarter. It backed, and it just got into the hands of you know all of its backers. I had a friend of mine who actually got a copy of this, and we were able to get to the table. They got the super crazy deluxe version of it, which comes with a shot glass because of course it does. Oh yeah, and. <laughs> 
again, you are one of, you know, one of these many kind of experts in the field and you have uh, an opportunity to distill a whole bunch of different spirits based upon what the market is looking for. And you yourself have a special ingredient. You get this, you get your basic board to start the game, but you will actually have the opportunity to build up your own particular selection of spirits based upon your specialty, right? So you have a specialty at the beginning of the game. Everyone selects a character card. The character card gives you an idea of what resources you have to start the game. Um, based brewing these or distilling these basic spirits, you're going to need, uh, obviously, some. you're going to need water, you're going to need alcohol and starches and things like that, and then all of whatever the ingredients, the alcoholic sugars that come into play. So um, grains and fruits and such that actually make those different spirits. So your character card gives you a special ability. Your character card gives you those kind of the setup as far as what you start with, and then your special formula for your special spirit. The gameplay itself is all about selecting these different ingredients from the market to make the different spirits. And in order to make the spirits on your player board, like everyone else's player board, again, based upon if you're playing with any particular expansion, there is a, I guess, a menu of different spirits in which you can you know, create. And that menu allows you to see what the formulization is for those different spirits. So one of the actions very early on is to purchase one of those particular formulas. You put a marker next to that formula, and now you're able to brew that particular spirit. Your player board itself has an opportunity to hire uh, three additional assistants. Those different those assistants are available on a market board. You have to purchase them to come into your employment, and then they'll give you a special ability typically throughout the game. And sometimes it's money-based, sometimes it's resource-based, sometimes it'll improve the alcohol and, and such. And then you also have to purchase a number of different, I guess, you know, vessels to be able to brew and distill and age the alcohol. So there's metal, there's plastic, there's all those wood kind of barrels and such. And again, just in the market, as you do have all those different people for your employment, you also have an opportunity to buy a whole number of different containers, right? So some of them are for brewing and some of them are bottles and bottles at the end of the game have a, a set collection mechanic. So based upon where the bottles are, based upon how many bottles of a type that you have, you'll score victory points for that. Uh, bottles also give you an opportunity to bottle the alcohol, so when you actually do sell it and you sell it along with bottles, you'll gain additional money. Money is very tight in this game. It doesn't seem like it would, but money is the tightest uh, resource that you have here. So, And then finally, you have upgraded ingredients. You have specialty ingredients that you can put into your different spirits. Those are, I guess upgraded versions of the basic ingredients that you can kind of purchase. So you purchase uh, ingredients, you purchase different containers, you hire different employees to go into your ploy. Your board itself is relatively simple. I like that. Usually when you play games with this, it's like usually a very complicated process. You'll keep stuff in your storage house. You have a washroom. You'll be able to put all of your ingredients in there. And then you have two spots on your board where you'll be able to age your alcohol. So once you purchase everything on the market, everyone gets to purchase two things from the general market for free. And then once you move that, you go to the, the actual market, as I mentioned before. Those things cost money. Some things in the free market cost money, but that's neither here or there at the moment. And once you get down to the distillery phase, you'll take the ingredients that you have, 
And depending on the amounts of sugar, whatever type of sugar it might be, you take alcohol cards and put that as part of your formulization. Now, Anthony, here is the most interesting, fun part of the game, because otherwise it's been a very standard recipe completion kind of mechanic. We've seen these before many times. It's not that, you know, different. You put the cards, right? So you have whatever the water or the starches is. You have the, uh, the alcohol sugars. You put the alcohols in there. You shuffle the cards up in your hand, or you could have someone else do it. And then you discard the top and bottom card of that little deck that you made. Now, when you distill those cards, it's like anything, like you're cooking all of the ingredients in a distillery, right? This is what normally happens. When you cook, some of the, you know, the alcohol or the water or whatever kinds of burns off and gets collected. So the the top card and the bottom card that got distilled off goes back into your, you know, your available storeroom to be able to use later. Doesn't, not that revolutionary, right? But here's the thing. There's actually a press your luck mechanic because the different formulas require different resources, I'm sorry, resources, different, you know, ingredients to be present in the spirit. So if you need, let's say, grain, you need, like, let's say the formula requires three grain, and you put the deck together, and the alcohol is there to help you because when you when you distill two cards out, if you distill the cards out that makes that particular spirit, that spirit, you won't be able to produce it. So you could possibly try to brew an alcohol and then find yourself distilling out what makes that alcohol that specific alcohol. So now you didn't produce alcohol, you produced a lesser a lesser version of an alcohol. It could just actually be moonshine. So instead of getting all the points and instead of getting all the money for being able to do that, you actually have a lesser grade alcohol. Now, the good thing about the game is you can still sell that alcohol as moonshine, which is kind of funny. But generally you want to sell the things for, you know, the value that you're able to make up. So I might want to, you know, distill whiskey, but again, the two grains were distilled out. So now the formula for moonshine is just basically alcohol. So, <laughs> you know, it, it happens. And so, and then some of the alcohols themselves. So like, for example, rum, you have to be able to have two fruit, sugar, two fruit sugars, but you have to be able to put it in a barrel and it has to be aged for at least one round. This is also another fun part of the game. When you put the alcohol to be aged, you take a tasting card. Now, the tasting card goes into the overall formula, and that's going to be able to uh, change what happens. Now, it could be like it could add a certain flavor to it, which actually ups the value of that alcohol. Or it actually could be something that happened in a bad way to the distilling process. Like somehow it it tastes like salt. There's a salt flavor in it, which actually downgrades the flavor there. So the longer that you keep it to be aged from round to round, you get a random tasting card that gets added to that formula. And then eventually when you do sell that alcohol, you have a particular taste that is all the different tastes combined, all the ingredients, you'll be able to, some of those ingredients and, and, and such 
will score you more money. Excellent. Some of those will score you victory points, and some of those will be negatives. So you're able to sell your alcohol, and you go, oh, you do this, I think, I believe it's seven rounds, and you at the end of the game, you do have these kind of scoring, additional scoring options. It's basically, like any other game, it's a victory point game, but there is end game scoring cards that you have in your hand that you whittle down to two to see if you can score them. There's also scoring opportunities throughout the game. There's these big kind of uh, medallions for being able to meet a certain condition, like you had certain labels that gave you victory points throughout the game and such. So it's actually a really profoundly fun game. I was actually surprised. Oh, cool. This is this is a game that I personally, I remember seeing this, I was like, I don't want to brew alcohol. That theme is not, not a thing for me. And I've played so many of these wine-producing games, and they're good, but sometimes they seem like overdone, like you have to do, tw- it's like too much of the actual process. This seems to be a very good weight. It is not a heavy game. It's like two points something on BGG. And the idea that you can select different, you know, craftspeople that give you different starting, different benefits, different recipes, and that you're able to put different people in your employment. You're able to make decisions on what kind of alcohol spirits you want to produce. The, again, going back to the, you know, take a risk kind of thing, press your luck a little bit. Like I I might just distill water so I can still produce it, or I might really need to produce alcohol this turn. So I might want to throw extra ingredients in there. The fun thing about the game is too, if you, if you try to like game the game too much and put other ingredients and they end up in the alcohol, that's also a negative, right? So if you're trying to produce an alcohol that requires to wheat, it's typically saying that it should not have any fruit sugars in it. So if you stick some fruit sugars in there to try to get rid of them in that press your luck situation and they end up in the actual spirit, it becomes something completely different or, again, could just be moonshine. So, yeah, it's – or vodka or something. Like, again, it's it's a fun game. It's, a, it, it's not as heavy as it looks. The only negative I will say is there's way too many ways to score points because you're scoring points – from literally all the cards that you have um some score money some score points but like there's always like some everything you do is going to score points more or less and then there's like throughout the game there's the opportunity to rush towards those goals those score your points you have your own personal end game scores those will score your points so at the end of the game we were just like this scores points and this gives me five points this gives me 10 points and this is a thing and i'm just like that became a little tiresome now, the Kickstarter itself, if you back the Kickstarter version of this, or if you pick up the Kickstarter version of this, had additional expansions to it. And again, it just adds more of the same, so it's not necessarily a bad thing. It has a distillery in Africa and Middle East, and then there's a promotional pack that you could pick up. So a lot of options to this game, a lot of fun to this game. This this game's a buy. You know, it was it was about $100 on, on Kickstarter, which is, again, typically what games cost on Kickstarter these days. But yeah, I mean, I might pick this up at some point. I actually had a lot of fun with this game. That's distilled. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's one I kept an eye on. I did not back it, but uh, I might have to track it down and give it a go. Yeah, it's it's not as heavy as it looks. Like I said, the scoring options is just too loose, uh, but it doesn't bring the game down. It's, it's a fun game. I like it a lot. All right, so in addition to that, uh, I, I was able to come back and 
play more of Darwin's Journey. This was a game that was also on Kickstarter that I backed. I know you backed it, Anthony, as well. And I talked about the game itself. It's definitely a solid play. But I wanted to come back to the expansions because in the Kickstarter itself, it had a number of expansions. And one of the expansions in particular, the Fireland expansion, was the other side of the map. And the maps themselves are a problem. I'm going to be honest. They're, I generally love a good artistic kind of display, but it is it does tend to be a little bit muddled with the artwork. So you're, not, you're never really 100% sure, depending on where you're sitting on the table, like what pathways. That being said, the Fireland expansion map offers additional ways to score points. It offers additional ways to put other workers, I'm sorry, explorers, they're not workers, workers are on your board, explorers onto the actual map themselves. So on the, the previous board, you had your one pathway for your ship. And then as you went through your ship, you dropped off explorers to the islands. And as the, and then as explorers moved around the island, they got special abilities and victory points and money and such. This one allows you to have the same sea path with your one ship, but it also gives you an opportunity throughout the game to actually have additional ships on additional pathways that you'll be able to move as well. And it also allows you to drop additional explorers off to additional islands so that they can explore as well. So when you played the the base version of the game, it was like, all right, I'm going to move the ship because I'm trying to score end game victory points, or I'm going to move my explorer because I want to score one or two or three or some odd items. Now it's, I have multiple ships, multiple opportunities to score, and I have multiple people out there and multiple you know pathways. So it's not just one pathway that gets dried up quickly. It's multiple pathways, both on land and both on sea. So for the Fireland expansion, and I'll talk about some of the other expansions, this is essential. This made the game fundamentally better. I will never play with the base map again. Again, it becomes more cluttered, and I'm not a big fan of that, but the option to have multiple ships and to have multiple explorers on different islands really does allow you to gain the most out of your resource. Because again, the game is primarily a worker placement game. So there isn't an infinite number of spots. Typically, there's only like, again, depending on how many seals your worker has, there's a very limited number of options. So you're going to be in some some cases actually very limited and going to have to use the ship action or the explorer action. And when there's no benefit or very limited benefit to that because someone else has like taken all the resources from those areas, it, it kind of really shrinks the game down and makes it sad. This allows the game to open up and give you more options. And I really enjoyed that. This is an essential expansion to that. Uh, there's also other expansions as well. So there's the Darwin Worker Mini Expansion. Uh, again, this was another, I think it was like a $5 expansion, which again, we'll talk about that another point. So this one is just honestly a single worker placement spot that can be opened. And when it's opened and you place a worker there, you'll be able to get the Darwin uh, Meeple. The Darwin Meeple is a super Meeple. So again, as I mentioned earlier, Meeples can only go to spot based upon the seals that they have available to them. So if you have two two red spots for a particular worker, they can only go to the red spots. Darwin can go anywhere. And when Darwin goes anywhere, he gets all the benefits. So that's always good. You've seen that in other games before. This is a pretty cool expansion. 
definitely essential. I would add that to any game because, again, I know, I know this is true about Anthony. He mentioned this earlier. You don't like to feel like you don't have good options or like the options you have are just nonsensical. So the, going to the Darwin space does give you an opportunity to do anything. And that's what you want about a game. You want to have a fun kind of expansion. Uh, there's also the Fullmouth uh, Port Mini Expansion. This is a additional board that has two spots that allows you to get a special meeple worker that's on a horse. So now you're able to, based upon what they call these roof tiles, you're able to move that worker more spaces ba- based upon like just throwing money at it. So the roof tile tells you that this particular action allows you to move that worker. So now you get to double up on action. So you take the scroll action. Now you can actually move your worker on the board a lot quicker by throwing money at the problem. That's great. Money is tight in the game, so I don't know how great it was, but we played it twice. It wasn't used very often, but it is another option. The same thing's true about the ship. So it gives you an opportunity once the, the ship action is unlocked, the same thing with the uh, the worker. It allows you to move a faster ship because, again, you throw money at the problem. I would say that's essential just because, again, if someone is building a strategy where they're just building around a couple of particular actions, this allows them the opportunity to also explore. So the two actions that are available here are not walk, you know, not the explore action, not the shipping action. This allows them, like, if you didn't focus on that at all or your workers are not doing that, this board allows you to do that. So I would add that to any game. It is essential. A lot of people didn't even use it because, again, they spread out their seals to make their workers available to do anything. But if you are the type of player that wants to do one or two you know, main actions, this allows you more flexibility. So I played Darwin's Journey. It was kind of a play, and these expansions certainly moves it up to a solid play, maybe even some... I'm going to play a little bit more, maybe even a buy, just because... It allows more variety of possibilities, and it doesn't soften any of the tightness of the game, but it allows you to make better, more interesting choices. So that's Darwin's Journey, and that's all the expansions. Very cool. I will make sure to start with the expansion when I finally get around to playing this. (laughs) There you go. All right, so now on to our feature review. So our feature review this week is our good friends over at Go- <laughs> Board Game Geek. It is their Golden Geek nomination. So Golden Geek nominations come out every year, and they nominate a wonderful list of board games in different categories and best podcasts for the year. So, Anthony, you got to take, take us through the different categories and the games that are up for nominations. Yeah, so these are much longer lists than the Dice Tower awards and it's it's never really clear how they decide how many nominations to put in each category because some have like 15 and some have 10 and some have 20 something like it's not really clear but so we're not going to go through every game because that would take another hour um but we'll, we'll kind of skim through it uh so so the first category is a two-player games right so we talked about this last week with the dice tower awards there there are a handful of very good ones and then some other ones that kind of popped in there um Beer and bread, and these are in alphabetical order. So beer sure. and bread, boop, Caesar sees Rome in twenty minutes, caper Europe, Marvel dice throne, mind bug first contact, pagan fate of Roanoke, splendor duel, twilight struggle, Red Sea conflict in the Horn of Africa, which is an expansion, undaunted Stalingrad, and wingspan Asia. Uh, so 
what do you think? I think half of these are expansions or standalones. Yeah. So that's a thing. Uh, anything stand out? Beer and bread. I yeah, I was really same. I was really surprised by beer and bread. I didn't expect that to come out from that designer, and I was just like, oh, this is actually really good. And I haven't picked it up yet, but I will. This that game was a buy for me. Same. Yeah. This is my. This would be my pick too. I there. There's a couple in here that I think might do well, just because people really like their war games. Like oh, Undaunted, yeah. Undaunted has a huge following. Um, sure. There's like seven or eight of those now. Uh, same as Twilight Struggle, even though I know it's an expansion that like 55 people have played. But like, <laughs> Wingspan uh, always has its its you know passion fans, and obviously Splendor has its fan as well. I just appreciate Scott Alms doing something out of his wheelhouse and just knocking it out of the park. Yeah, it's very, very good. Um, all right, so artwork and presentation. I know this is your pet category. Yay! Uh, <laughs> Blood on the Clock Tower. Yeah, it's it cool. It begins. Uh, C- Carnegie, Cora Quest, Creature Comforts, Endless Winter, Paleo-Americans, Everdell, The Complete Collection, Flamecraft, Foundations of Rome, Heat, Pedal to the Metal, John Company, Second Edition, Merchants of the Dark Road, My Father's Work, Return to Dark Tower, Weather Machine, and Wonderland's War. <laughs> Why are there so many nominees? You don't need to have this many nominees. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of nominees. And it's a lot of different artwork. So again, yeah. I, I, I... This, and we should mention, I, mean, I don't know if we mentioned this, this is on Board Game Geek. So all these nominations came from votes from people on Board Game Geek. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the criteria. Because again, every game has artwork. So... I don't know. You could argue 18 double X doesn't have artwork. Oh, burn. Uh, so, so but... hey, hey, some of them do. <laughs> yes, that's true. Some of them do. I don't know. Even O'Toole's artwork uh, for Weather Machine is pretty fantastical. Wonderland's War, I've really enjoyed that a, a great deal. I think Flamecraft has been the one that's really captured everyone's heart. I think a game that typically, and we've seen this historically, is just, you know, way too light for most people especially at that cost point, but people love it because of the artwork. Like when, when people talk about Flamecraft, they're like, Oh, it's so cute. And I'm just like, Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there you go. So, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, like, Hey, you want to go on a blind date? Yeah. yeah. What's your friend? Like, Oh, she's really cute. You're like, Oh no. <laughs> uh, like I'm looking for something with a little intelligence. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I think, I think Flamecraft is going to, win this although i really have been impressed with wonderland's war i think they took something that was somewhat like been been there done that and it just kind of knocked it out of the park yeah absolutely that it's a really pretty game um i i always root for Ian O'Toole, but i don't think either weather machine or carnegie are going to get enough votes here uh so no, I'm with you. I, I mean which one do you like better let me ask you that oh carnegie carnegie yeah, right because yeah. yeah the artwork it it not only is it nice to look at because it's you know tool but it actually supports the gameplay a little bit better whereas weather machine it's it's a lacerta game it's hard to make it work in a way that visually guides you through the game as well um and that game's hard to learn on its own so it's pretty but it's busy because all of his games are busy and i think sometimes again we as far as the voting is concerned you can like you should take that into consideration right like it's easier to to again i i'm i'm this is probably very bad things to say. Like it's easier to conceive of the artwork to be adorable and, and, you know, attractive for something like little tiny dragons, right. Versus like Carnegie. 
and yet, as you said, Anthony, the game has like a lot of like visual appeal to it. And I think that's a harder, you know, road to track. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think either of those are his best work. So I, no, I'm no. not like, I'm not like banging the drum. It's not like when On Mars was up here or some of those other games that he's worked on. We're like, that's brilliant. And he should win for that. Um, I, I agree. I think it'll be Flamecraft. I wouldn't be surprised either if Everdell, the complete collection, pulls one out just because of all the people who paid so much money for that big box. Voting yeah, I, for just, it. I just feel like that's gotten that in the past. I, I it just, has. Yeah. When you have something that's come out multiple times and multiple iterations, I think that's kind of surprising. So, yeah, but yeah. for sure. All right. Uh, cooperative games. Uh, big long list again. So let me take a deep breath. <gasps> Uh, Aeon Trespass, Odyssey, Burn Cycle, Cora Quest, Decorum, Dwarf Romantic, the board game, Frostpunk, the board game, ISS Vanguard, Keep the Heroes Out, Kites, Lands of Galzir, Miss Over Carcassonne, Oath Sworn, Into the Deep Wood, Paint the Roses, Return to Di- Dark Tower, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, and Vagrant Song. Wow. All right. I, I love how we were just talking about how like there aren't any good video game <laughs> board games and then we have dwarf romantic and frostpunk i'm like oh those are actually pretty good <laughs> so, yeah they're fine it's yeah, fine they're, they're indie games though so it's you know, yeah it's not it's not call of duty no 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 call of duty is its, its own thing to say the least yeah yeah, yeah i don't I, I, from this list i don't i think return of the dark tower is gonna win because yeah I agree. again all those people who paid 300 dollars for their tower um i don't think i played a lot of these like this was not a big co-op year for me um Usually I played a few, but of these, there's only a handful and none of them really stood out to me. Like Star Wars, the Clone Wars is fine, but I don't think it deserves to win any awards for anything. <laughs> right? no. um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'll be interested to see what people think, say it's best. Yeah, I'm pulling for Cora Quest. Just me. Yeah. Cora's the best and she deserves to win all the awards. That's true. That's probably what I vote for. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that I'm going, I'm going there. I'm going, I'm going with, like, again, if it's going to be a co-op game and you, you your story is like a daughter and a father put the game together, yeah, that's that's cooperative, I would say. Yeah, that's a good story, yeah. All right, next up we've got expansion, and there's a lot of good expansions. So uh, we've got the Dune expansions, Immortality and Rise of X, <laughs> Everdell New Leaf, Meadow uh-huh. Downstream, On nice. Mars Alien Invasion, Parks Wildlife, The Red Cathedral Contractors, Roll Camera, the B-movie expansion. Root, the Marauder expansion. Star Wars Outer Rim Unfinished Business. Viticulture World, Cooperative Expansion, and Wingspan Asia. This is pretty easy for me. I mean, I mean, I love expansions. I could just do a whole podcast just on expansions. I just, I love them. Uh, it's hard because there's a lot of good expansions here. There's no bad expansions here. The one that really does something radically different, like again, and we have a great episode on it. I really, it's one of my favorite episodes of all time, which talks about the different types of expansions. And again, like some are more of the same, some add a character or people. On Mars Alien Invasion takes a very dry Euro and with Ian O'Toole's artwork. And the story mode that goes along with it and the different modules of play, I think it's I think it's something that I don't think I've ever seen out of an expansion. Like it it just it it does more. Like it it's yeah. it's different. Like it stretches in a way, and even all even all tools artwork stretches. Like I've never seen him do like that sci-fi kind of alien artwork either. So it's really impressive. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that would be my pick. I don't think it'll win. Um, no, but it's not gonna win. <laughs> I'm sorry. <And> honestly, <laughs> I don't know what will win because I feel like it would be Dune Imperium easy, except there's two of them. Now, yeah, that's gonna split, gonna, the gonna split the vote. So probably probably Star Wars Outer Rim because I know everybody was all about that. Or it Wingspan. wasn't selling very well. I I I'm gonna I'm gonna just blind here. I think Root's gonna pull it out because I think Root. Okay. Yeah, I think Root, I think it's gonna be Root. You know, again, the same thing with like Wingspan. Wingspan has its own community, but I think Root has kind of Root has consistently been phenomenal with their expansions, and because again, it is incredibly easy, and they should fall down and like create some really bad factions. And this is not one of them. This is not it. This is a great faction. So, yeah, true. I'll be happy with that. All right, we've got Innovative Games, Blood on the Clock Tower, Cat in the Box, Deluxe Edition, Dead Reckoning, Deal with the Devil, Heat Pedal to the Metal, ISS Vanguard, John Company's 2nd Edition, Mind Bug First Contact, My Father's Work, Planet Unknown, Return to Dark Tower, and Touring Machine. Yeah. I I agree that these are all innovative in some way, so that's good. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Kinda. I mean, I some mean- of them... Some of them are reiterations of old games, so are they really I mean, innovating or just making it work in 2023? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, John Company's second edition, innovative? Like, it's better. Yeah. It's certainly better, you know. Sure. I don't Return to Dark Tower? I don't, like, anytime a game has, like, a second edition or a return to, it's, is it innovative? I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's I, true. It's not a brand new idea. Um, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I've had really a lot of fun with a lot of these games. This is this has been a really key. I mean, Turning Machine's been great. Yeah, Turning Machine is is really really clever. I just we talked about this last week though. It's we not, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like a game. It feels like an activity, like a it cool does. activity, like a puzzle. But like game is a it's a tough seller. Oh no, sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to see what people vote for here. I feel like it'll probably be like Blood on the Clock Tower or Return to Dark Tower. But yeah, Blood of, Clock Tower has a lot of love for it. So yeah, like is that a game as much? I don't know, but it's there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's got rules. It's sounds sounds chaotic as heck. Someday I'll play it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right, so now we get into the trilogy of light, medium, and heavy game of the year. So the light nominees are Acropolis, Cat in the Box Deluxe Edition, Challengers, Dwarf Romantic, the board game, Foundations of Rome, Long Shot, the dice game, Mindbug First Contact, Next Station London. Ready, set, bet, rear window, sea salt and pepper, splendor duel, and trekking through history. I I really love the fact in here. Yeah, but I really love the fact that they split it up because this could just be a popularity contest. And I really appreciate that they understand their industry and they're like, hey, there's different games. These are really different games. And, you know, like Cat in the Box Deluxe Edition is fantastic. I love that game. But, yeah, you know, yeah. if it if it was the only, you know, if it's up against, like, I don't know, Marrakesh and, like, it wins, I'm like, all right. <laughs> I don't feel great <laughs> about that. Yeah, um, yeah. Trekking through history. I mean, it's it's a light game for sure, but, like, they threw everything in the kitchen sink into there. And I I, yeah. I, I think that's pretty fantastic. Um, yeah. It's weird yeah, to be- see. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm just about to say, like, that would be my choice, too. That or Acropolis. Um, Cat in the Box Deluxe would also make me happy. Yes. Uh, also, Foundations of Rome would just be funny because it's a that's fifty pound was... game. That's yes. a light. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I'm like Foundations of Rome. I'm like, yeah, no, that is a light game. That is a very light game. Not a, not a very light box, but a very light game. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's weird. That's there. Yeah, that's funny. 
Um, all right, let's look at the medium games. Uh, we got Atiwa, Blood on the Clock Tower, Clank Catacombs, First Rat, Flamecraft, The Guild of Merchant Explorers, Heat Pedal to the Metal, Lacrimosa, Libertalia, Winds of Galecrest, Mosaic, A Story of Civilization, Planet Unknown, and Wonderland's War. Ooh. I think all of the best games of the year are in this category. It was not an amazing year for heavy stuff. This is no. all the best games, in my opinion. Yeah. I agree. I agree it's, with that. So, yeah, it's it's a hard one. Like I like of all of all these games, and I played most of them. Like I think I like Atiwa more than most people, but I do like that a lot. Guild of Merchant Explorers is one of my games of the year last year. Heat Pedal to the Metal is an amazing racing game. Mosaic is a great Civ builder. Mm-hmm. Um, Wonderland's War we talked about. Yeah, lots of good stuff here. Great variety too. Like very yeah. different games from each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think it'll come back to Flamecraft again, but <laughs> or Heat. Um, See, the problem I have with that is Flamecraft is not a medium game. I'm sorry. I don't I I think it's a beautiful game, but it's not a it's not a medium game. That is interesting, yeah. I mean it's it's a two point one. Like where's the line for them on this? That's what I'm saying. Like, why is that a medium game? But then again, like we talk about some of like we joked we just joked to, you know, <laughs> Foundations of Rome being a light game. It is a light game. But yeah. I think Foundations of Rome, like it's geared towards adult audiences. Like it is a little more heavy than Flamecraft. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, people. I can't give it to you. (laughs) I'm a a stickler when it comes to categories. You already heard that in the previous episode. So. All right. So it's out. It's out, man. I'm I'm, going to have to overrule with my, uh, I don't know, soon to be death laser at some point. We don't, we don't have it yet, but it's coming next year. Next year. Scary. It's it's scary laser. It's, It's, you know, I don't know. I, I, I again, this is. I don't think there's a wrong answer here for me personally. No, no. A lot of very good games in the medium category this year. Yes. Uh, not that the heavy ones are bad; they're just not as strong, in my opinion. So, on the heavy side, we have Aeon Trespass Odyssey, Carnegie, very good game, Dead Reckoning, Endless Winter Paleo Americans, which I I would argue maybe is not a heavy game. Mm-hmm. Um, Great Western Trail, Argentina. John Company 2nd Edition, Marrakesh, Revive, Teletum, Wayfarers of the South Tigris, Weather Machine, and Woodcraft. Uh, I guess I like Carnegie the most of these, or Teletum. I'm not sure. Mm. I don't love any of these. So, yeah. it's between those two for me, personally. Yeah. Yeah. I know that there was a lot of love for Endless Winter, winter Pale Americans, but I, I think, again, so much of the media that's out there right now is is and always has been a, 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 around the idea of like these Kickstarters just throwing things off. It's not a bad game, don't get me wrong. It's just like a lot of these games have so much hype to right. them. It's it's hard to kind of like suss through. That's why you try you, you got to play these games. I mean, if I'm going to play if, if, they, if I'm going to play a heavy game, yeah, I think it's going to be Carnegie. I think that's the one that you know, as far as like a well-oiled machine, as far as what we think of, you know, heavy games, I think that's yeah generally a thing. But again, all the games are fairly good on this category. Yeah, I feel like Carnegie in all these categories last week too gets dinged a little bit because people have been playing it for two years. Yeah, right. Because it it was on Board Game Arena the day they launched the Kickstarter, so it doesn't feel like a new game. So you're like, oh yeah, that one, that's good, I guess. But anyways, what's new and hot and exciting? And so it's not that. That's an old and game. <laughs> like, and I think there was a very there was a very hard difference between the Kickstarter version and the retail version. The retail version is not as good. 
That is true. I have the retail version. It is not as good. <laughs> so, uh, all right, party games. This will be quick because we haven't played any of these. Blood oh, on the Clock God. Tower, Challengers, Feed the Kraken, Fun Facts, Gang of Dice. Oh, we did play that. Uh, yeah. Green Team wins. Kites, Long Shot the Dice Game, Penguin Airlines, Phantom Inc., and Ready Set Bet. Yeah, we played Phantom Inc. too. Oh yeah, yeah, we did. We played that one at the conventions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In as much as you play any game in a convention, but yeah, that's cool. <laughs> well, it's a party game, so yeah, yeah. Well, it's true. Yeah, yeah we're in and out. Um, <laughs> it doesn't take that long to to, to get to get a handle on that game. It's very um, clever. I like that. Uh, I, I, I mean, I like Gang of Dice a lot, so I'd be happy happy with that. I don't think it'll win because some of these are pretty popular. It's going to be Blood on the Clock Tower. It's yeah, just gonna, yeah, it's just going to be Blood on the Clock Tower. I haven't played it, but it's going to be Blood on the Clock Tower. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so let's look at the print and plays, uh, and we can we can select one based on the name of the game. Yay! Aquamarine, Birdscaping, Copperdale, Doctor Who, Solitaire Story Game. There you go. The Old Prince, 1871, Shoes Tactics, Sunshine City, A Wayfarer's Tale, and Woodcraft, Roland Wright. All right, so... Based on the very thin kind of decision making that I'm making here, the fact that Doctor Who, which is a huge IP, is a free print and play, I'm giving it the win for that. Because again, what? not to say that the other games aren't good, but dude, you're actually getting a real IP in a free print and play. A real IP. That that, that is like the opposite for me. Where I'm like, oh, no, that's no. cheap, and you just you paste it on a theme, and they decided not to sue you, so you, you're gonna get it. <laughs> not a fan well, of that think, at all. I think, I think that's a press your luck game in and of itself. They pressed their luck, and it worked out. I don't appreciate the pressing of luck. <laughs> well, I good, good, fun, good, fun, good. No, just I'm just saying, like I don't find it to be uh, particularly courageous to go out okay. and borrow borrow an IP and just get away with it. That's all I'm saying. It, then shouldn't be in the, it shouldn't be in the category. Why, 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 why did you do that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you can pick that. That's fine. I respect you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the look of Wayfarer's Tale. I, I uh-huh. always saw that it looks very interesting. Uh, it's, it a, it's a roll and write. So, you know, I know it's not for you, but... I want a part of it. <laughs> Exploration Dice Game uh, and Guild of Merchant Explorers was my favorite game last year. So I, I think this looks in that ballpark. So that's the one I would pick, personally. I mean, you could pick Woodcraft. It's nah, I don't like that game though. <laughs> I know, but it's a roll and write. It's, yeah, it's but it's based version. on Woodcraft, which is not a great game. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> All, All right. right, solo games. Yes, Aeon Trespass Odyssey again. People love this. Um, Aleph Null, Aquamarine, Frostpunk, the board game, ISS Vanguard, Nemo's War Ultimate Edition, Paperback Adventures. Resist, Siege of Valeria, and Touring Machine. I feel like I might be out of touch on the solo landscape because I have not heard of several of these, which I don't know what happened. <laughs> so, I've played Nemo's War, the older version. It's yeah. brilliant. It's a fantastic game. I'm going to pick that, uh, even though it's just like an updated new edition, third edition, basically, of this game. But... Paperback Adventures is on my playlist. I'm sure it'll be good. I like that. Touring Machine, again, is a great activity. And again, if you're going to play it, Solo works really well because it's a puzzle-solving yes. thing. So that one's good, too. Yeah, that's that's the way. That's the best way. That's why I played it, Solo. Yeah, so that's how I look. I think it, yeah, it sings at that. I, I did play Frostpunk Solo. Um, 
it is a fantastic game, but it is an endless, endless, painful setup and breakdown and table hog. So I almost think that it it solo doesn't work for it, even though it plays really well solo, just because you need a, a number of people to help you set up and break it down in a reasonable amount of time. Mm. So yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I like I love all my Lacerda games solo. I don't play any of them really ever because it takes so long to set them up. It and takes so them. long. So like it's got to be small enough. All right, thematic game. We've got Aeon Trespass, Odyssey, it's back. Uh, Blood on the Clock Tower, Dead Reckoning, Frostpunk, the board game, Heat, Pedal to the Metal, ISS Vanguard, John Company, Second Edition, My Father's Work, Nemesis Lockdown, Oath Sworn, Into the Deepwood, Return to Dark Tower, Votes for Women, War of the Ring, the card game, and Wonderland's War. All great, th- I mean, all great themes. Love them. Love them all. Lo- love the fact that thematic gaming has no longer been just like a paste it on theme it's actually in the game itself yeah no it's amazing that we get such variety too like usually when in the past thematic games would just be like (laughs) yeah sci-fi fantasy lots of miniatures on a board you're like that's theme there's plastic you're like (laughs) Um, but now we get games like votes for women which is a fantastic looking thematic game about the ratification of the 19th amendment like that got in there, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, again, we're all about, you know, educating people through board games. So, yeah. And War of the Ring, the card game. I've heard of that game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. I always feel like it's a little bit of a cheese to pick the IP game for thematics, but it, it does it pretty well. So. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, Wonderland's War, Dark Tower. I mean, again, my father's work is very thematic. Play that Nemesis is all kinds of thematic. I don't know. I almost, I I would almost like to see a similar category when it comes to game of the year as, as the same thing was thematic game where you split it up Mm. amongst like miniatures versus non-miniature games. Cause I feel Mm. like miniature games or games with like lots of miniatures in it have an unfair advantage. Yeah. Or maybe like IP versus genre versus historical or something. Yeah. 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 Sure. But I don't know. Lots of good stuff there. Um, this next category, I think we're just throwing darts at a board here. We got war games. Uh-huh. So we're going to cover it because it's on this list, but we, we don't know anything about war games. Wait till you uh, get to the end. 1212 <laughs> Lost Navas de Tolosa. Of course. Almora Vide, Reconquista and Riposte in Spain, 1085 to 1086. Always. Uh huh. Yeah. Caesar sees Rome in 20 minutes. That was pretty quick. Firestone Siege of Vienna, 1683. Yeah, done that, been there. Uh-huh. Flashpoint, South China Sea. Of course. Lanzareth Ridge. You know us. A Most Fearful Sacrifice, The Three Days of Gettysburg. Yeah, we're down for that. Pacific War, The Struggle Against Japan, 1941 to 1945, Second Edition. Any day of the week. Resist. My game. Salerno, 43. My mom's game. Successors, Fourth Edition. Dad's game. Twilight Struggle, Red Sea, Conflict in the Horn of Africa. Your kids' game, Undaunted Stalingrad, everyone's favorite game. Votes for women. Don't know why that's there. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's I a honestly game. don't know why that's there. Um, I, I'm not going to make fun because I, I fully respect the war game genre. I just haven't played. I love the games. war game genre. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. A, I'm going to vote for Resist though because it had the shortest name and it was the least difficult for me to say. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's usually my thing. I'm, I'm glad that you, you've you've come down to my level, to say the least. 
Yeah. Hey, it's about resistance fighters, right? I taking on. Yeah. I'm I'm okay with that. No, I'm okay with that too, and that that would be my pick as well. Not not because of the name as much as you said it's the thematic gameplay that um, I'm 100 percent down for that. I think Undaunted Stalingrad uh, is just is a massive. Just everyone's playing that right now, so I, I think that's probably will end up winning. Yeah, Successors is also a very successful Kickstarter, so we'll, we'll yeah. see. It's built into um, the name. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> all right, best podcast, and you know what? We support all of these amazing podcasters, even no. if they're not on the list. Uh, Beyond Solitaire, Blue Peg, Pink Peg, Board Game Barbecue, Board Game Blitz, Board Game Hot Takes, Board Game Snobs, Board Games Insider. See a theme here? Uh, Decision Space, <laughs> Five Games for Doomsday, Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group, One Stop Co-op Shop, Rolling Dice and Taking Names gaming podcast, Sporadically Bored with Mike and Dan, Talk Cardboard, and This Game is Broken. A lot of great podcasts, a lot of great, you know, friends out there. And again, please support all of them. If you haven't listened to all of them, listen to all of them. Because again, you never know what you might find throughout there. Um, I don't think we should pick because we know people. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> because, but they're, they're, I think the thing about board game podcasts more than anything else is they're very different from each other, more or less. So yeah, there's a lot of good variety here. And I guess some of yeah. these podcasts are as old as our podcast or older. And some of them are relatively recent and they have a different spin on the, the format, which is really mm-hmm. interesting and fun, which I love. Um, and like you said, we are close friends with several people on these podcasts, so we, we won't vote, but yeah, I mean, we'll no. vote, but we're not going to pick for the show. We'll let you all decide. Absolutely. All right. Finally. And then best board game app. The last one here. There weren't that many. So I think they, all the ones that got votes were selected here. <laughs> um, Clever forever. Everdell. The Grizzled Armistice Edition, uh, Hero Realms, Llama by Reiner Knizia, Maglev Metro, Role Player, and Wings of Glory. Mm. I can't remember which one we picked for ours. It was either Everdell or Role Player. Both of those are very good, though. They're both very good. So I think we just leave it leave it at there. There we go. <laughs> either, either way, either way you come out with a win. I, I, that's how I look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're both good games. If you like either of those, play the digital version. Absolutely. All right, everyone. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone.